Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. As a way to introduce us to the sermon this morning, I've asked Matt Shore to be with us. And Matt is our pastor of our children's ministry here at Central Campus. And I've asked him to share a bit about our children's ministry, but specifically what he and his staff and the leaders that we have are doing to try and help these children that are a part of our church to grow up to become more like Jesus. And so we'll get there in just a moment, but Matt, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. For being here with yes. us. And it's, it's great to be here. Hello, Big Church. That's uh, what we call in children's ministries. That's what we call you. Hello, Big Church. <laughs> and uh, it's great to be here. Uh, thanks, Kent, for letting me out. Yeah. And, oh, uh, you're welcome. Let me come yeah, we'll join you. you out once in a while. It's good. It's good <laughs> to be here. Well, Matt, I know that I know that the majority of our church actually don't know the magnitude, the breadth, the yeah. scope of our children's ministry. So start us off there. Fill us in on sort of the big picture yeah. of our children's ministry area. Absolutely. Well, we, you know, we're just blessed to have a lot of kids who love Jesus and who want to be here. And every weekend we have uh, over 650 kids that join us in children's ministries. And we know that a lot of our families, because of how busy they are and the things that are going on in their life, a lot of our families can actually only come to church once or twice a month. And so that number is actually a lot larger, how many kids we actually have coming here. Um, we have an amazing volunteer team uh, who inspires me every week in the work that they're doing. Um, we have over 130 volunteers every weekend that join us in serving in children's ministries. Uh, everything from large group teachers, uh, worship leaders, uh, small group shepherds and leaders, uh, our hospitality team. Um, we have also our task teams and our prayer teams that help us as well during the week. Uh, this year, we've had over 55 children already accept Jesus as their forever friend. And it's not one of those... Put, I know. Hey, it's exciting. <laughs> it, yeah. And it wasn't, uh, oh, my hand up in the back. It was, uh, no, I want to know Jesus, and I want to be his friend. Yes. And I want him to be my friend. And, you know, God is growing and moving in our ministry. And that, that comes with some challenges, but we are excited uh, to see God transforming the hearts and the minds of our children in our church. Uh, we're looking forward uh, to a big event that's coming up for our church uh, at Easter time. Uh, we're having our Easter experience in children's ministries in the first week of April. And we're looking forward to the huge impact that's going to come up as a result of that is we have hundreds of children at each service and many of them who are going to hear about Jesus for the very first time. So that's kind of the glimpse. It's great. And then, you yeah. know what, how many of you were handed a bulletin by a, a student wearing a yellow shirt as you came in this morning, right? I forgot. Yellow that. shirt, kids. Yeah. That's our, our servant, servant action, action leadership team. Leadership or salt. team. So we have 150 yeah. grade five, six kids who are part of our servant action leadership team, our salt team. And they are serving all over our yeah. church so that they get to know this place. And it's not just my parents' church, but it's something that I belong to and I serve in. Yeah. Thanks for reminding me of that. Big scope, right? Our children's ministry area. Now, on a weekend, you have, you and your team, all of our, our leaders have about an hour to an hour and a half with our children mm -hmm. uh, every weekend. Yeah. So just give us a glimpse of what you are trying to achieve, right, in the lives of our children when you have them for that period of time. Yeah, well, we... We recognize how important you as parents are in the spiritual formation of your children. So on the weekends, we want to supplement on the weekends what you as parents are doing in your homes during the week. And, you know, we exist 
as a ministry to partner with parents so that children can hear the voice of God, so that in his timing, they can respond to him and become fully devoted followers of Christ. And we want all of our kids not just to know a lot about God, but we want them to experience him and to have a real and living and growing relationship with him. And it looks a little bit different for all of our age groups, but upstairs uh, we have our early childhood floor. And so up there we want all of those kids uh, to know that God loves them, that God made them, and that Jesus wants to be their friend forever. Uh, downstairs in grade school, we have a little bit of a different uh, group down there. So uh, right into grade school, we are looking at building the biblical foundations of faith with them. And we desire for all of our grade school kids to be part of a small group because we know the power of a small group and the transformation that can happen there where they can build relationships with one another, where they can build a relationship with their caring leader, where they can learn about and grow in their relationship with God, uh, where they can be on mission together and most, most and ultimately where they know and that they feel that they matter that they belong and that they are loved and cared for yeah thanks matt um you and i have talked a lot about the the future and mm-hmm. the things that you're trying to work towards changing a little bit and tweaking in our children's ministry area um you know we've identified some challenges but god's doing so much and so mm-hmm. I know you and your passion for this ministry area, along with your staff team. And so just fill us in on what you are dreaming about these days for the future. Okay. Are you ready? <laughs> Here we we only have a little bit of time. Okay. Okay. No, I, uh, no, we're no trust- go for it. Okay. Uh, we're trusting God for some amazing things in our ministry. Yeah. And we know that over 70% of Christians today, adult Christians, have said that they accepted Christ before the age of 14. And so we know we have a window of opportunity in a child's life where they're receptive to the things of God, want to know more about God. And so we want to use this opportunity to invest in them and to introduce them, introduce them to Jesus. And so we're dreaming And we are praying for a day when more and more children are coming to know Christ because of a hunger for him. Where we have, we're dreaming of the day where we have kids out of this love for Christ, they're inviting all of their unchurched friends to come with them to church because they want them to know about the Jesus that they love. Where we as a congregation, where we celebrate like we did today, the, uh, a, tr- a life that's been transformed through Christ and we see children being baptized during our services where we have uh, many, many more children uh, being dedicated uh, and their children's taking those first steps towards what it means to disciple their child. And where children, I'm dreaming of the day where children are engaged and encouraged and inspired through meaningful worship, through teaching that connects with them, through small group experiences where we can apply what God is saying to our lives. And most importantly, I'm dreaming of the day where every week they are connecting with God. And I mentioned earlier that our grade school kids, uh, we want all of them to be in a small group. And I don't know if you knew this, but our small groups they're not so small anymore. (laughs) It's kind of ironic. But uh, they're not so small anymore. And uh, God has been doing some amazing things in our small groups uh, in grade school. And a lot of our groups have actually gotten bigger and have ballooned to over 20 kids in a small group with one adult. Can you imagine? (laughs) It's it's wonderful. Yes. Uh, But as you can imagine, uh, it's, it's a challenge. And we really want our small groups to be small. 
And so we are intentionally moving forward and through a process now to reduce the size of our small groups so that children can be in a a small group where they can experience and grow in their relationship with each other and with God. So, you know, we we desire so much more. And I'm dreaming of the day. I get really excited about it. But I am dreaming about the day when because of all the amazing things that God is doing in our children and our families, that they are inviting all of their friends to know and to learn about the Jesus that they love, that we have to build on to this facility because we can't hold all the kids that are coming to us. And I don't know if you knew this, but it, it's exciting, yeah. yeah. But those of you that are parents here today will know this. At 11 o'clock, our service, it's our biggest service, but we are full already. We cannot put any more children in if we wanted to. And so it's an amazing, amazing challenge, but we're so excited about what God's going to do through that. Um, My friends, we have a huge number of kids coming to us every weekend. Every weekend. And I'm blown away that despite the size of our church... And all the amazing things that are happening here, we regularly don't have enough volunteers uh, to uh, build into children so that they can learn about God. And I did a little bit of math, and I'm not the best at this, but I did a little bit of math, and I found that less than 5% of our church body, and that's a generous 5%, less than 5% of our big church body here at Central Campus is investing in this next generation. And that, for me, breaks my heart. Because it has huge implications. Did you know that right now, during this service, there are 50 to 100 children that are sitting in our chapel, sitting in our cafeteria, in the galleria, and they're sitting there because we don't have enough people to bring them in or we don't have enough space for them? Did you know that each weekend we have 15 to 20 new families who have never been to our church before and many of them have never heard about Christ? Did you know that every weekend we're short volunteers and we have our team members who step up and say, you know what, I'm going to do two services this weekend because I don't want to see any child turned away. And knowing these things, it keeps me up at night and it breaks my heart. Because I know that God has so much more that he wants to do in and through us. That we haven't even scratched the surface yet of what is possible. I want our church and I want us to be a people of action. Not to be passive spectators, to be watching life go by. I want us to be known as that church who is moving forward in the mission that God has called us to. Where all of us, not just the 5%, but all of us are all in as we step forward, as we step out and be the hands and the feet of Jesus in the lives of our children and our youth and our families. Yeah, That's a little glimpse (laughs) of my dream. You know what? That's great. With the hundreds of kids that come every weekend that are part of our ministry area, church, we're an extended family. It's our responsibility to invest into the lives of these young ones. And thank you, Matt, for that challenge. And God is doing amazing things Mm -hmm. through our children's Mm -hmm. ministry area. But we need to let you know as well as a church family, 
write about the challenges that we're facing as well. Mm-hmm. And Matt, I love your passion. It's so clear to me, you are just so well positioned here to lead in our children's ministry area. And so um, just give us as a church family a glimpse of what, what's underneath you that makes you motivated and your team motivated to do what you do and lead children's ministry here. Mm-hmm. What, tell us why you do this. Okay, well... I believe that Jesus uh, has a very special love for children. He has a very a soft spot for them. And I, I see in Scripture Jesus telling his disciples to not stop the children from coming to him. And we read that uh, uh, Jesus, uh, his last words to us were, go and make disciples. And I can't think of anything more important than introducing kids to Jesus and to helping them to be more like Jesus and helping them to do the things that Jesus did. I can't imagine anything more important than that. And I encourage all of you to step out in faith and come be part of our team uh, so that you can help children hear the voice of God so that in his timing, they can respond to him and become fully devoted followers of him. And I, I'm going to be in the atrium after the service, and I would love to come, for you to come say hi, um, and then for us to explore what it means for you to be part of this exciting journey in children's ministries. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. thank you, Matt. And you know, I, Matt, I want to thank you and your team for the way that, and I think of, you know, some... Leaders in children's ministry faces are coming to my mind of the ways that my kids have been impacted mm-hmm. by being involved in our children's ministry. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. And um, thank you and for your team. Can we just thank Matt? And you know what? Let's ch- clap loud enough so that the volunteers that are serving back there can, can hear us, okay? Thank you. You know, church, it's not just up to Matt and his team and the hundreds of volunteers that serve in our children's ministry. It's not up to them only to disciple and grow our children spiritually. We are a large extended family. And I hope that even as Matt has shared that you feel a bit of the weight of responsibility, first of all, to pray for our children. Even right now, hundreds of children are just 100 feet in that direction, and they're praying together, and they're learning about Jesus together, and they have great leaders that are speaking into their lives, and they're worshiping Jesus together just steps away from us. Let's pray for them and their leaders and what's happening right in that area of our facility. Wanting ask you to encourage our, uh, our children's ministry volunteers, if you see someone that's serving in our children's ministry area, put your hand on them and just say thank you so much for the work that you do with our children. And finally, I want to challenge you, just like Matt did, to consider helping and joining his team. Once a month, once every two months, twice a month, whatever you can contribute, we would love to be able to help our children of our church grow up to know Jesus. Now, our challenge to grow spiritually, to become more like Jesus, isn't just for children, right? It's for all of us as adults. This is the life that we live, that we're pursuing after Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, it challenges us to grow up, to become fully mature, attaining the whole fullness of Jesus Christ, to become exactly like he is. The present series that Pastor Henry is teaching us about Christianity 101 
is all designed to help us be grounded in the essentials of our Christian faith, the foundation elements of who we are and what it means to be a Christian. All of our ministries are around here, are orchestrated and designed to help us all grow spiritually, to become fully devoted of Jesus, uh, followers of Jesus Christ. That's our mission statement as a church, and if you didn't know, Center Street Church exists to help introduce people to Jesus and help them become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. This is the invitation that Jesus has for us as human beings as we live our lives. This is our mandate. About three years ago, when our children were six, four, and two, all of them 22 months apart, my wife and I actually felt like we were emerging from six years of constant sleep deprivation and, um, you know, all that's involved in raising little kids. I actually talked to some parents after the first service and they said, I identify with you. We're constantly sleep deprived. You know, but my wife and I, we were emerging out of this phase and we were asking ourselves the question, so what's our goal in raising our children? What's our purpose? What are we aiming for as we raise these little ones up? And it was about two or three years ago that we just, we decided, what could be more important than if we saw our role as making disciples of these little ones? We're not just parenting them. We're not just raising them up to be moral, uh, moral people. We're not just educating them, making them smarter. But our goal is to make disciples of these little ones so they see themselves as following Jesus Christ. What could be more important than that? So my wife and I, we constantly say we're discipling our children. Jesus is our model, isn't he, of making disciples. The word disciple actually means pupil or student or apprentice. And in the ancient Jewish tradition, a Jewish rabbi or teacher would invite one, two, three, or four young boys to come around him and, and be his disciples. And he would invest into their lives spiritually so that they would grow up. And Jesus followed that same Jewish ancient tradition, didn't he? We know that Jesus had at least 72 disciples, but we know that he had 12 of these young men that he invited to be in closer relationship with him. Jesus invested his time, his emotional energy, relational energy. He invested his knowledge and intellect. He invested his finances into these 12 young men so that they could in turn develop others and make disciples. This is the pattern that we see in Jesus' life. Through all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see the word disciple showing up all over the place. And in the first part of Acts, we see the same thing. Disciple, that word is littered all throughout the first chapters of Acts. In fact, in Acts chapter 19, Paul says that he met daily for a period of two years in the hall of Tyrannius to invest into his disciples, to pour his life into them. Every day for two years. But a curious thing happens. After Acts chapter 21, we actually don't see this word disciple showing up in the concluding chapters in the book of Acts. It just doesn't show up there. In fact, the word disciple doesn't show up in Paul's letters, Peter's, or John's letters. Even though we know that all of them had disciples and their people that they were investing in had disciples of their own. But where did this word disciple go and why? Why does it sort of vanish after Acts 21, in the concluding chapters of Acts? Well, author Mike Breen and others have thought a lot about this, and I want to acknowledge their influence in this sermon. 
But the answer to this question is found in our passage that we're going to look at this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 to 17. And I'll read this in a moment for you. Follow along in your Bible. But in this passage, Paul gives us a new picture of making disciples. A new metaphor, a new image that Jesus invites us to function like in the church today. The Jewish picture of disciple-making was a Jewish rabbi and his students. But Paul gives us a new picture. And as we understand this new metaphor that we see here in 1 Corinthians 4, this new picture, this new image, it will lead me to ask you two questions. The first having to do with how you are growing spiritually, and the second being how you are helping others grow spiritually. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4 Verses 14 to 17, Paul says this to the Christians in Corinth. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord, he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. As we read this passage and others of Paul write, Paul's writings in the New Testament, it's clear that he has men and women that he has discipled. Timothy is one of these people that's, applied, that's implied right here in this passage. And Tim, Paul sends Timothy to the Christians in Corinth to show them Paul's way of life in Christ Jesus, which means that Timothy must have imitated Paul. And Paul's sending Timothy then to show what it looks like to these Christians to follow Jesus. But Paul doesn't call Timothy his disciple in, these, in this passage. He calls Timothy my son. Now, Timothy isn't Paul's biological son, but his spiritual son. And Paul calls all the Christians reading this letter, my children, now obviously they aren't his biological children, but his spiritual sons and daughters. And Paul says in here, I became your father, not, the bio, not their biological father, but their spiritual father. And Paul contrasts two words in this passage here, guardian against father. He contrasts these two words in this passage. You see it right here in verse 15. Paul says, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Now, what Paul is saying here is critical to understand. Track with me here. The word guardian in this passage is the Greek word pedagogos. And this person, what would happen here is the, a, a Roman or, Jew, or a Greek family would hire a guardian to be a part of the family. They would invite this person to be a part of the extended family, live with the family, truly be a part of the family. And the role of this guardian was to help raise up young children. The guardian would be connected to a child from the time that they were weaned from their mother to the time that they turned age uh, 12 or 13 years old. The guardian's role was to educate these children, perhaps teach them arithmetic and, and language and writing and logic. They would watch over the child. They would care for the child, perhaps walk the child to school and back, supervise the child. But the guardian was the person involved in raising the child till they turned about age 12 or 13. And at that point in the Greek-Roman culture, then the child would go through a rite of passage ceremony, 
when they turned about 12 years old. And as a part of this ceremony, the child would be brought in and would stand right next to the father or the mother. A son to the father, daughter to the mother. And from that point on, the child was going to imitate the father or mother. And the father or mother would spend a significant amount of time investing into the child so that the child would grow up to be like them. A son would learn the trade that the father had, would learn what it was like to be a father, a dad, a husband, play that role in the family, and a daughter would learn to be like a mother, understanding the household, and would imitate the mother. Now what Paul is saying here to the church in Corinth is he's saying this, Even if you had many guardians, people to teach you a little bit, watch over you, supervise you, help you out in life, even if you had many guardians, you actually do not have very many spiritual fathers or spiritual mothers that you can imitate to become like Jesus Christ. You don't have many spiritual fathers or mothers. You don't have many people that will spend... And take the time to invest in you significantly so that you can grow up into full maturity. No longer does Paul use the language here, the Jewish language of rabbi, disciple, because this concept was foreign to the Greek and Roman culture. And so Paul changes now and he communicates this process of spiritual growth, spiritual development. And Paul sees this this process through the lens of a parent and child relationship, which is one of the reasons why after Acts 21, we don't see the language of disciple in this book anymore. This metaphor of a spiritual father, a spiritual mother, a spiritual son or spiritual daughter is a powerful picture for us today because we can get it. We understand the role of a good father, of a good mother, We know how much investment a good father and a good mother invest into the lives of their children. How much a good grandmother, a good grandfather invests into the lives of their children and their grandchildren. We understand this metaphor. And as we understand this new picture in terms of our spiritual development, it leads me to ask you two questions about your own life. And the first is this. Who is like a spiritual father or a spiritual mother to you? Who is like a spiritual father or spiritual mother to you? Another way to ask this question is, who is right now investing in you, modeling a way of following Jesus to you so that you can imitate them? As you're growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ, who is coming alongside to give you some guidance? And if you have someone in your life, if a name has come to your mind as I've asked you this question, then your life is just magnificently blessed to have a person like this in your life. Your life is blessed. And I believe we have a great need in our church today for spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. What we need in churches across our country and our nation is an increasing number of wise and mature men and women who are willing to become spiritual fathers and mothers for others who want to grow and mature in their relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, children need to see older and wiser people that they can imitate and copy and, and imitate their way of life. Middle school and high school students, university students, frankly, we all need someone. We all need someone who's a bit further ahead of us in our spiritual journey who will look back 
and help those of us coming behind to follow hard after Jesus Christ. We need living and honest examples to look to for what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. A couple of weeks ago, I was in the wedding party of a good friend of mine. And as I got there to the the place of the wedding, and um, I met a young man who was also in the wedding party. And as we got talking, I found out that he was actually a part of our church here about 10 or 12, 13 years ago. And he began asking me questions about our church, and we had a great conversation. And then he asked me, he said, you know what, is there an elderly man, and I'll just call him Sam. So now, is there an elderly man named Sam that's still a part of Center Street? And I said, I know Sam. I know him well. He's still a part of our church. What a great man. And he said, you know what, Kent? When I started being a part of Center Street, Sam noticed me. And he recounted a conversation when Sam said to him, I see something in you. I see gifting in you. I see maturity in you. And you know what? I like you. And I've got time for you. And if you'd like to spend some time with me over a cup of coffee or meet regularly, I would be so happy to come alongside you and speak into your life. And this gentleman that I met just two weeks ago remembers a decade past in his life when someone noticed him and spoke into his life and helped him become a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, at times we might be fortunate enough to have someone a little older, a little wiser than us notice us and ask if they could speak into our lives and help disciple us. Other times we have to step out and be a bit bold and ask a more mature man or woman if they would spend time with us and help us grow spiritually. And I'm aware that as I ask this question, there might be some of you here this morning who feel exempt from needing someone to come alongside you in your life and help you grow spiritually. You might feel like you're doing just fine on your own. And as I've talked with some people about their spiritual growth and having someone invest into them and speak into their life to help disciple them, I've noticed some common themes that keep people actually from entering into this kind of relationship, the spiritual growth relationship. The first theme is really a theological issue because you see the Christian faith that perhaps most of us have grown up in is a a very individualistic Christian faith, a very individualistic um, understanding of the Christian faith where we think, you know what, if just Jesus and me are okay, that's fine. All I need is just Jesus and me. I don't need anybody else. That's very individualistic. And the faith that we've grown up in doesn't focus so much on Jesus and us, Jesus and us in community. And the truth is when you look at Jesus' life, He rarely seems to have a one-on-one conversation with any of his disciples. And if it does seem that he's having a one-on-one conversation with one of his disciples, the truth is that that conversation is happening in the company of others. God is usually doing his work in our lives through the life of another person in order to change us and help us grow. Said a bit differently is this. You and I cannot grow into what God wants us to be and do unless we are in a discipling relationship with someone else. That's the truth. The second theme that I hear from some people is they're just too busy to devote some time for someone to come alongside and help them in their spiritual growth. These people have great desires, great intentions. They want to grow spiritually, but they've convinced themselves The time is not simply there. 
to be in this kind of a relationship. Another theme that keeps on coming up is is a feeling of superiority that people have when they think about entering into a discipling relationship. Because you see, asking someone to help you grow spiritually means that you have to admit that someone else's life has something that your life doesn't have yet. Means that your life needs something that someone else's life has. And the truth is that if we want to grow to full maturity, continue to grow spiritually in our lives, in this amazing life that Jesus has for us, we have to relinquish the idea that we are strong enough on our own or that we have enough willpower on our own to live the Christian life alone. Being a disciple, being a spiritual son, a spiritual daughter to someone requires a type of healthy submission. Healthy submission. When you enter into a discipling relationship, what you're essentially saying is that there's parts of Jesus at work in your life that he's not at work yet in my life, and I want what you have. Can you help me get that? Discipleship is about submission. And many people don't have the strength or the courage to submit to another person's influence in their lives. So my question to you again this morning is, who is like a spiritual father or spiritual mother to you? Do you have someone that's investing into you spiritually? Are you being discipled by someone? And if you want to grow, if you want to grow to know Jesus more and more and more, then I encourage you, begin praying to ask God to bring someone into your life. Think about this question. Reflect on it. Take a step of courage and just ask someone. Trick them. Just say, you know what, could I have just a cup of coffee with you? And then after that goes well, say, you know what, could I have a cup of coffee with you again? Right? And just ask them. Ask them if they would just help you out a little bit as you want to follow Jesus Christ. The second question I have is this. Do you have a life that's worth imitating? Do you have a life that's worth imitating? As we look at the early church in Acts and how people were discipled, Paul gives us the clearest articulation of what was involved in a discipling relationship. We read here in verse 15 and 16 again. Paul says, You do not have many fathers, For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. I became your spiritual father. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. What Paul was saying here is, you don't have many people that will take the time to invest in you spiritually. And Paul uses this metaphor, right, of spiritual father, spiritual son, and so on, to get right at the heart of what a discipling relationship is all about. And it's about imitation. It's about imitation. To make this point even stronger, later on in 1 Corinthians in chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says this. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, what Paul is saying here is not, hey, we want to imitate someone to become like them. No, not at all. We imitate people to become like Jesus. And it just so happens that often Jesus uses someone else in our life to help us become like Jesus. That's why Paul says, I'm imitating Jesus Christ, so follow my example, and we'll both become like him. A gentleman that was a spiritual father to my father 
And when I was young, he had a significant influence in my life. In fact, he's the guy that bought me my first electric shaver. And his name was Willie Muller. He tells the story of when he was walking with his grandson. And Willie Muller, I mean, he's six foot four or five, just a tall guy, long, lanky arms and lanky legs. And he was walking with his grandson one day going for a walk. And he's just, you know, his big arms swinging back and forth. And he looked down and noticed that his grandson was trying to mimic his exact gait, right, of his arms and legs and everything. And Willie looked down at his grandson and said, son, what are you doing? And he said, grandpa, I want to grow up to be exactly like you. You know, church, woven into the DNA of our little kids is this idea to imitate, to mimic, to copy. And if we're honest, it's true about us as adults as well. We're looking for people, for good examples. We're looking for mentors, coaches, whatever you want to call it. We're looking for someone else to see what we can imitate in their life, what's good and honorable and right. We need examples. Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, he says in Thessalonians this, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. Do you have a life worth imitating? If anyone observed your way of life in following Jesus, would anyone want to imitate your life? Would anyone want your life? These are pretty heavy questions to consider, but necessary questions for us to keep reflecting on regularly if we desire to have any worthwhile influence in this world and the lives of others for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a worthwhile question for us to reflect on. From the moment that my children, my wife and I, children were born, people said, you know what, they look exactly like you, Kent. The genes in my side of the family run pretty strong and, and uh, my daughter looks exactly like my wife, just... Um, but people say that my sons look like me. Even last night, someone here at church said, you know what, Micah looks exactly like you. And, and what people would specifically say is, Kent, we notice a lot of you in your children. And any parent will know the greatest challenge for a good mom and dad is the sober reality that our children will grow up to be like us. <laughs> and at times that causes us to lose a bit of sleep because we know that our kids will grow up to be like us. They imitate us. Our kids are going to learn from us. They'll learn from you, grandparents. They will. Grandparents, you have a great influence in the lives of your grandchildren. Our kids will grow up to be like us. They'll learn many things from many other people, but as parents, we will be the greatest influence in our children's lives. These days, I wake up early and try and exercise and Last little, over the last week and a half, my daughter's been the first one to run down there and, and start mimicking me and doing exercises. And it's hilarious to watch a little blonde girl this big, you know, trying to do jumping jacks and push-ups. And, you know, her little legs are pumping away when she's running. And then she and my other sons will run upstairs and show my wife the exercises that I'm doing. They want to imitate me. My daughter just the other day asked my wife to roll up her sleeves so that she could look like me, her dad. Our kids, 
Our kids want to imitate us. And in following Jesus, we need to see what the life of Jesus Christ looks like in another person so we can imitate that. It's not just enough for someone to tell us how to follow Jesus. It's not enough for someone just to teach us to follow Jesus. We need a few good people to show us what it looks like. Think of it this way. A middle school student, a high school student, they need to see what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus in their school, in their context. A university, a college student, they need to see what it looks like to be a fully devoted disciple of Jesus on a university college campus. Those of you that are business people, you need to see what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus as a business person. Stay-at-home moms, you need to see what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus as a stay-at-home mom. Pastors, I need to see what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus, a fully devoted disciple of Jesus, as someone serving in the vocation like a pastor. We all need people to model this life of Christ for us. And if we see something that looks like Jesus, we copy that. And if we see something that doesn't look like Jesus, we don't imitate that. Do you have a life worth imitating? Friends, do you have a life that's worth imitating? If you're like me, you might think of all of the ways that perhaps your life doesn't measure up for someone to imitate you. If we're honest with ourselves, at times we don't know if it would be such a good thing for someone to imitate us. At times our lives are hurried, they're chaotic, at times they're slightly depressing. At times our marriages have challenges. At times our lives are full with debt, overloaded with debt. The times our lives are incredibly busy. We may not be the best parents. At times our relationship with Jesus Christ might seem dry and empty and we wonder if God's at work in our life at all. And I'm sure there are some very real areas in each of our lives that we need to pay attention to. We cannot, we must not ignore we continue to ask Jesus to help us with these areas of our lives. But nothing that I've just mentioned here would preclude you from inviting someone to come alongside you and imitate your way of life. Nothing that I've mentioned here would preclude someone from imitating your way of life. Our lives will never be perfect examples of following Jesus, but we need living, real, honest examples. That's the kind of life that we need to live. Think of Paul's life. The person that's saying, follow my example, he acknowledges in the New Testament, his life's not perfect. He doesn't have it all together, but he continually says, you know what, follow me because I am sold out in following Jesus Christ with my whole life. And so follow what's good in me and we'll both become like Jesus Christ together. Our world needs a greater number of real, honest, living examples of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Younger people need your example, church. Need your example at every stage of life in order to see what a fully devoted life looks like following after Christ. And I know that most of you do have a life that's worth imitating. Not a perfect life, but a great life that others can, can imitate. And if you leave here this morning and you say, Ken, I agree with you. I do want to live a life that's worthwhile for others to imitate. Not a perfect life, but I do want to live this kind of life. Here's what's going to happen in your life. 
you are going to draw so close to Jesus Christ because you know that you're living the kind of life that you are okay with other people watching. What's going to happen is it will cause you to recover some spiritual discipline, some spiritual practices, prayer, scripture reading, Bible memory that perhaps have slipped in your life. You're going to bolster these up in your life. It will cause you to take your spiritual growth seriously. It will cause you to look to someone older and wiser, more mature, a little further along, so that you can pass on what you're learning from this other person, this spiritual father, mother in your life. If you want to live a life worth imitating, it will cause you to examine your life and give Jesus access to every area of your life. It will cause you to surrender once again fully to the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. For your sake but also for the sake of younger men and women, children, grandchildren, nieces, and nephews who are watching the life that you live in Jesus Christ. For their sake, live a life that's worth imitating, church. You know, it's been my prayer. It's been my prayer that we would all be challenged this morning Challenged from this new picture of a spiritual father, a spiritual son, this new picture of discipleship that Paul gives us, challenged by these two questions. I have been challenged by these two questions. And I trust that God, by his spirit, is speaking to you. And I want to encourage you to spend some time reflecting on these questions and take the necessary steps of faith, small steps, to becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me in closing prayer? And I want to invite the young lady who was baptized to come on up here. Just come on the platform with me. And can we just encourage her, right, for this step of faith that you've taken? It's great. Just stand right here. Now, church, like we always end our worship services, if you came here with concern, something heavy on your heart, we have prayer partners up at the front. Just join me in closing prayer. Holy Spirit, We've gathered this morning in your presence. We know that you're with us. And you long to speak to us. I pray for folks in this room that are just yearning to have a spiritual father or mother in their life. Someone that they could talk to to help them grow spiritually. Would you bring someone into their life that could help them along their spiritual growth journey? Father, for us all in this room, equip us guide us, counsel us, motivate us to live lives that others could see Jesus in, that others could imitate. Strengthen us as a church as we desire to pour into the lives of our children that are a part of our church worship services each and every weekend. Father, for this young lady here and the example that she's given to us this morning, public witness of following you, Jesus, wholeheartedly, we pray for her that she would continue on this spiritual journey, continue to grow every single day. Pour out your Holy Spirit on her and use the gifts that you placed in her to influence others to follow you, Jesus. I pray that you would protect her and all of those who are baptized this weekend from anything Satan might try to speak discouragement or lies into their lives from this public testimony that they've given. Watch over them, Jesus. Watch over this young lady. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you May his face shine upon you. May Jesus Christ lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. May he give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, church. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. 